Thank you for choosing this podcast. It's our pleasure to share with you the word of the Lord. Proverbs 23.12 says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to the words of knowledge. Join us as Pastor Jim Bunch shares God's word with the people at Christian Outreach Center in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. I want to try to uh, do a little teaching, preaching on this subject of testing and trials, at the purpose and explanation of it, as all of us are going to have the experience, as I'm sure you're aware of by now. Our scripture for this, our, our text is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. But let me just ask a question as you're looking up that, 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12 in your Bible Let me just ask you this question. How many people in here right now can say, you know what, Pastor, I believe I'm going through a test or a trial. Can I see your hands? All right. That's, I'm preaching to the choir. That's good. Um, Well, maybe you, maybe I shouldn't say that's good. But you know what I mean. I'm I'm glad you're, 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 never mind. First Peter chapter four and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Dear friends. I love the way the Apostle Peter opens this segment of his teaching. Dear friends. When the fiery ordeal arises among you to what? Test you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. As if something unusual were happening to you. Now, he says, rejoice. (laughs) Oh, rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. The Amplified Bible says, Beloved, do not be amazed and bewildered at the fiery ordeal which is, to, which is taking place to test your quality as though something strange, and in parenthesis unusual and alien to you and your position, were befalling you. So then, common question is, why me, God? When we're going through a test or a trial, when something befalls us that is out of the uh, ordinary, it is common to man to say, why me, God? And I've already told you that that I'm not uh, here this morning to beat you up or pick on you or make fun of you or anything like that, because it, it is a common experience. Something has happened, and we feel that we were somehow singled out... Nobody else is going through this but me. I am all alone here, God. And God says, no, you're not. I know right where you are, and I know what you're going through. I still love you. I'm for you. And I'm going to, I'm going to provide. I heard a, uh, a preacher on TBN, I believe it was, say something the other day that I thought was good. He said, where there is vision... There is provision. So keep that in mind this morning that wherever you are and whatever you're going through, if you are following the vision that God put in your heart and you encounter trials and tests along the way, just remember that 
There is provision. There is supply. There are provisions for you to get you through this victoriously. Let me just review from the first message in this. Testing and trials, I said, are a fact of life. They're a fact of life. We are not going to escape them. We're not. He said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though something strange happened to you. Jesus told us plainly in John 16, 13, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And I said, it is not the trial of you. It is not a pass-fail. It is the trial of your faith, according to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, which perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found, your faith that is, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So then, I said to you that we need to understand that testing and trials are a fact of life because Jesus told us so. First Peter tells us so. Second, it is common to mankind. That's exactly what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13 says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Look at a person next to you and say, you're just a common man. <laughs> you're just a common man. But God is faithful, it goes on to say, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able to bear, but will, with the temptation, also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I'm going to come back to that scripture. The second major thing I taught you by way of review is that God will test us. Not only are testings a fact of life, but God will test us. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, you wait a minute. Psalm 26, verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. If you have ever seen, if you've ever sang one of the old hymns out of the old hymn books, that along this lines, inviting God to try you or test you, you gave God permission. He's not doing it against your will. He's doing it because you ask Him to. You say, well, I've changed my mind. I don't want it any longer. Too late. You're going to learn from it. We ask Him to do it. Not only did we ask him to do it, but God said he would do it. Jeremiah 17.10 I, the Lord, search the hearts. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. In the New Testament, Jesus said in John 6, 5 and 6, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then the next phrase says that Jesus asked Philip that because he knew, he said, it says specifically he asked Philip that to test him. 
to test him. That's what the Bible says. And it goes on to say he already knew what Philip would do. (laughs) Do you realize that God has determined to test you and he already knows what you're going to do? He already knows. You say, well, what's the point? Remember, the testing is not for God. Who's it for? It's for us. And we're going to find out why this morning. Why is it for us? And so that's the review. Now let me move into this message this morning. At some point, everyone has asked, why me? I am saying to you this morning, why not you? Why not you? Would you like to put your trial or your test on someone else? Who would you choose? Look around you this morning. Is there someone that would take your trial or test off of you? I don't want yours. I've got enough to handle. You know the experience. You find yourself in the midst of a situation that seems to have come upon you and you just don't deserve it. How many times have we said to God under our breath or in our minds, I didn't deserve this. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, at some point in your life, you have said to God, I don't believe I deserve this. And so questions begin to arise. We question ourselves, we question God, we question our church, we, que- we question our beliefs, we question everything. That's okay. That's okay. It is through the questioning, if we pursue it, we will find answers. We don't just grin and bear it. It isn't, whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. That's fatalism. We don't subscribe to the belief of fatalism. You'd be surprised how many Christians mix fatalism with faith. They don't mix. Not with the Word of God. So let me explain some things and give some definitions. We must understand the difference between a trial or test and chastisement or discipline from the Lord. Let's talk about chastisement first of all. Hebrews 12.8 By the way, how many people know the difference between chastisement or discipline and a test or a trial? How many people think you know know the difference? You think you know the difference? Raise your hand. One person? You're afraid I'm going to give you a test or ask you a question? Hmm. Hebrews 12.8. You think I'm going to trick you. No, I'm not trying to trick you. Hebrews 12.8. Look at it in your Bible. You may already know it, but look at it in your Bible anyway. That's why you bring that thing to this building with you, so that you can look in it. It's important for you to look in it. Get familiar with it. Hebrews 12.8, what does it say? But if you be without chastisement, insert discipline, whereof all are partakers. Who are are partakers of discipline? Who? Who? Oh, does that mean you? Yes. Does that include you? Yes. 
Are you sure? You're willing to accept discipline. Alright, what does it say then? Whereof all are partakers, if you are without discipline, if you are without chastisement, then you are what? You're afraid to say it, aren't you? You're afraid to say that word that's in the Bible. You're, you're backing off. You know, preach the word, preacher, preach the word. And you come across a word like this and you go, I'm not going to say that word. That's a bad word. My mama told me not to say bad words. I bet you didn't know there were bad words in the Bible, did you? Dustin, I bet you didn't know there's bad words in the Bible, did you? I bet you didn't. I bet you never heard of it. You never heard of a preacher pointing you to bad words in the Bible. These are words that you use when you want to call somebody a name. Now, boys, I'm going to be right here with you. One of you is going to be up here preaching with me shortly. Uh, we use words in the Bible. We use words in, in the vernacular when we want to curse somebody. But when we come across them in the Bible, we shy away from them. That shouldn't be in there. This is a holy book. That word is in my Bible? Yeah. What is that word? Let's hear it. Oh, you're just so shy and timid. My word, my word. Illegitimate. Illegitimate. But what do us redneck Tennesseans say? We don't say illegitimate. Bastards. King James says bastard. Why are we afraid of that word? Is it because we may be akin to that word? Huh? You got me? Okay. We'll start with you, young man. Come up here. Come on. Come on. I love you. I ain't going to hurt you. Come on. Come here. Come here. Stand right here. Who's your daddy? What's his name? Dave. Dave. David Gillette's your daddy. Yeah. He ever spank you? Yeah. Go sit down. See that? He even laughed. He didn't say, Oh, my daddy picks on me. My, my daddy's, you know. No. He knows his daddy loves him. He knows who he belongs to. Then your sons, if you accept chastisement. When it is chastisement of the Holy Spirit, and it's the same Holy Spirit that wooed you to God originally. It's the same Holy Spirit that fills you with joy and power and energy. same Holy Spirit will also discipline you. Chastise you. It's the, when, the whole, when it is from the Holy Spirit, here's how you can know the difference between testings and trials and chastisement and discipline. When it is from the Holy Spirit, as in chastisement, when it is chastisement or discipline from the Holy Spirit, He will make it perfectly clear. There will be no question in your mind that you are being disciplined. See, sometimes we're unsure of what is happening in our life and, and we want to think that God is chastising us. Beloved, He will make it perfectly clear. There will be no ambiguity. There will be no guesswork. Whenever your father or your mother disciplines you, they don't leave you wondering, do they? 
They say to you, you stop that or I'm going to whatever. You fill in the blank. You know what the issue is. You know what the deal is. You know what you've done wrong and you know what the correction's going to be. If, for example, your mother, your father said to you, we're going to go by the three strike rule. One. They look at you and they do this. They go, one. You ever have this in your family? One. You say, well, I got two more to go. So you keep cutting up. And they go, two. You go, ooh. No, in my family, uh, in our family, it was, if I have to tell you again, we're going outside. There wasn't no three strikes. There was one. You, 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 you don't get beyond one. You know, one and it's out. It's like the story I heard about the little boy. Yeah, go ahead. Come on. Sometimes they don't even take you outside. Yes. I like that. Mm. How many of you had the parent that would pinch you? And you weren't allowed to yell. You know. By the way, the way most of us were brought up is not allowed today. You'll be put in jail for disciplining your kids the way we were disciplined. If it's from God as discipline, if it's the Holy Spirit disciplining you for something, you'll know precisely what it is. There'll be no guesswork about it. You don't even have to ask why. It's like the child when the parent grabs them up and starts dragging them out of the church. What did I do? What did I do? What did I do? Mm-mm. They know what they did. They've already been warned. They've already been cautioned. They've already been taught. It's like the little boy that was misbehaving in church and his mother grabbed him and started down the aisle out the back door and he started screaming and yelling, Oh, God, somebody do something. She's going to beat me. (laughs) Turned out worse for the mother than it did the boy. But God will make it perfectly clear to you. Now, let me give you some examples. Concrete examples. First from the Bible and then from my own life. Adam and Eve... Was there any doubt what they did wrong in their minds? They were chastised, weren't they? Okay, let's move forward a little bit. I could use some examples from Abraham's life, but I'm not going to do that. Let me jump forward to Moses. Remember Moses when he went to, well, first of all, he spent 40 years on the backside of the desert being disciplined by God and taught by God. Why? Because he took measures into his own hands when he killed that Egyptian guard. He disobeyed God. He was banished from Egypt for 40 years. And then, when he did answer the call and what led the children out of Israel, he came to a rock. They had no water and God told him to do what? Speak to the rock. What did he do? He struck the rock. What's wrong with that? What's the problem there? Yes. Dustin. Okay, so he told him to speak to it, not strike it. And when he struck it, what was that? Anger. Anger and disobedience. And yet this is the man the Bible says was meek above all men. Moses. A meek man. But he, that one time... 
he lost it. He lost it. And he said, must I fetch you water? Wham! He hit the rock. And you know what the New Testament says about that? It says that rock was a type of Christ. When he struck that rock, it was the same thing as striking Jesus Christ. Why? It's the principle involved. He stepped out of the spirit into the flesh. And he reacted in anger to a difficult situation where he was being tested. If you're being tested, stay in the spirit or it'll cost you. What happened? What did it cost Moses? What was the discipline for his action? He didn't get to go into the promised land. My, my, my. Don't you think that's a little harsh? Huh? Was he harsh with Adam and Eve? Yeah. But here's the thing. Remember, Adam and Eve had no sinful nature. They were pure and holy, walked with God in fellowship. Moses was leading millions of people. Anointed of God. Miraculous powers. Here's the principle. The more light you have, the more accountable you are. Have you ever, you ever had, uh, when you were a kid, you ever have your mom or your dad say to you, you know better than that. I'm disappointed in you. You are behaving far below your level of knowledge and maturity. I am disappointed in you. Parents, you know what? It's okay to tell your kids, I'm angry with you. Don't ever tell your kids, I'm mad at you. There's a difference. I am angry with you, says I am displeased with your behavior. I love you and always will, unconditionally. But I am displeased with your behavior. And I want you to know that I'm angry. And now I'm going to go in the other room and count to ten. And when I come back, you better not be here. No, I'm kidding. No. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Let me, let me move on. Uh, there was Moses. Remember Samson? Remember Samson? How many of you heard the story of Samson in, 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 uh, in Sunday school? Of course you did. What did Samson do wrong? Was he not a mighty, mighty anointed man of God with, with strength and supernatural abilities? I mean, you read his, his heroic exploits and you just go, wow, man. All of the powerful men in the world today didn't have that kind of strength. Love to have that kind of strength. But what did he do? He took it, he took it for granted, he used it to his own ends, and he was a woman chaser. Now, if you're a woman chaser, get down here at the altar and let's get you delivered today. Because you are going to wreak havoc on your family and on everybody around you. I believe that a woman chaser is just as bad, it's just as bad a sin, it's just as destructive a sin as homosexuality. You may disagree with me. But I have seen the shipwreck in homes because a man thought he was a stud and was constantly chasing women. It is destructive. That was Samson. God disciplined him. How did God discipline him? He allowed, and this is often the case, God uses other people as his instruments, as instruments in his hand to discipline. God told the prophet Elijah, that he was going to use Jehu and other nations as instruments in his hand to discipline Israel and Judah. And he did. 
God may even right now be preparing a discipline for America and He may use another people group, another nation to bring discipline on this nation for its backwards backsliding and sinfulness. Don't be surprised. A lot of people were taken by surprise by 9-11. Do you realize that our government knew well in advance that that threat was there? It didn't take them by surprise. Elijah's servant. How many of you remember Elijah's servant that King, uh, Naaman I believe it was, came to Elijah's, came to Elijah uh, for healing of uh, leprosy. And uh, he got healed and Elijah wouldn't take any money from him. And so when he went his way, his Elijah's servant ran after him and said, My master forgot. He, he really would like a gift from you. He was lying. He took a gift from the man and he took it and hid it. And when he got back to Elijah's house, Elijah said, Come here, boy. He said, I saw you. In the way. You ever feel like your parents had eyes in the back of their heads? How did they know? I'll tell you how they know. It may be a gift of the Holy Spirit, or it may be that it's written all over your face. If you're not a good liar, give it up, honey. Just go ahead and confess and repent. Because everybody will know. And he said, I saw you in the way. And what happened to Elisha's servant? How was he disciplined at the hand of his master? How was he disciplined? The leprosy that was on, was it Naaman? Is that the, the guy that came for prayer? His was put on the servant. He put leprosy on that servant. You say, man, this is, pastor, this, this, is, pretty, this is pretty serious stuff. This is, this is... Man, this sounds like punishment. No, I'm going to distinguish between punishment and discipline in just a minute, if you stay with me. There's no way I'm going to get very far into this message, but I'm laying a foundation so that you'll understand when I tell you the purposes of testing and trial, you'll understand and you'll receive it. If I just just give you those few little principles out there this morning, and you don't understand the difference between testing and trial... Chastisement and discipline, or the attack of the enemy, then you're not going to get. You're not going to get it. So I'm spending a lot of time this morning helping you to distinguish in your own mind and heart what there, what the difference is between these things. Let's use the example of David's sin with Bathsheba. Did David know better? What did it cost David? Do you remember? What was the discipline? Administered by God. Cost him the son, didn't it? He lost that son. What else? He lost, he'd have war. The blood would never leave his house. There was something else too. Now, maybe it was another sin. Maybe it was the numbering of the people where he lost a bunch of his own people were taken out. Here, here's the thing I want you to get about this. David prayed a prayer during that time. It's in the book of Psalms. And he was very contrite, humble, broken. And he prayed a prayer to God. And in his prayer he confessed his sin. And then he said something that I want you to take home with you today. He said, and he pleaded with God, please do not do anything, God, do anything to me 
Take away my, my crown, my throne, my kingdom, anything. But one thing, one thing, God, please do not take from me. Do you know what that was? You, be, you don't, don't you tell them, let them. What was it? The Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. God, well, you and I already talked about it this morning. That's why I didn't want you to blur it out. You knew it. The most treasured possession, if you want to call it a possession, that he had. The thing he valued above all else was not his throne, not his kingdom. Listen to me, listen to me. Whenever you are sinning and God corrects you, God sends a messenger or God's word speaks to you or God's Holy Spirit confronts you and convicts you and you ignore it and you continue on in your sin. You remember this. You remember this. David had plenty of warnings. He had plenty of opportunity to repent and he chose not to. And David realized he stood to lose something that was a treasure above all treasures. Let me ask you something. What do you treasure above all treasures? The way I watch some believers in churches today living recklessly and sinning left and right and thinking nothing of it and ignoring the warnings of the Holy Spirit and playing church the way I observe churches and preachers conducting themselves today as if the Holy Spirit doesn't exist. I, I am led to believe that if the Holy Spirit were taken out, they'd never know it. He would never be missed. They have no relationship with Him. They have no fellowship with Him. They speak of Him only sparingly. But David had a communion with the Holy Spirit. A fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That was a treasure. Listen to me. Listen to me. What do you treasure above all else? Are you worried? How many preachers? How many politicians? How many, how many prominent leaders in America today have gotten caught with their hand in the, in the, in the, in the treasury? Or they, they've been caught in adultery? Or, uh, how many of them have we witnessed in just the last ten years? And you know what? They were carrying on for some time before they were finally busted. And they would not change their way. They would not confess. They would not repent until it became public. Don't wait until it becomes public. God will bring it to that if He has to. Deal with it in your prayer closet. Deal with it on Saturday night at the altars or whatever. Get it out. If you treasure the Holy Spirit as you say you do. If that is your greatest treasure, deal with it. Don't put it off. Peter in the New Testament at least twice was disciplined directly once 
by Jesus, once by God the Father. Now listen, it's one thing to have Jesus, your buddy, your friend, your comrade, the leader of the group, to correct you. It's another thing to have a voice from heaven, from God the Father, say, shut up. Let me show you. Remember, Jesus is walking along and he's talking. To, they're, they're stopped in a place and he tells his disciples, I'm going to be crucified. He starts to walk off and, Jesus, and Peter's, Peter starts after Jesus. He says, not so. No, 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 no way. No way. No way. Uh-uh, Jesus, I'm not accepting that word. What did Jesus do? He turned and he looked right at Peter, didn't he? And he said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He was saying to Peter, you don't know what spirit just spoke through you. And he rebuked Peter. Make no bones about it. That was discipline. Can you imagine the look on Peter's face when Jesus said that to him? That'd be like me coming back here to one of you and looking you right square in the face and say, get thee behind me, Satan. I mean, you'd go, wait a minute now, preacher. And, you know, your temperature would rise, your pulse would increase, and your face would turn red, and then one of two things would happen. You'd repent, as Peter did, or you'd hit me. And then repent. Second time. They're on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory comes down. Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. James and John were a lot smarter than Peter, though they were younger. They knew when to shut up and when to speak. Peter had a problem. His mouth was engaged when his mind was often in neutral. And he said to Jesus, it is wonderful for us to be here. See, this is the promoter. This is the promoter coming out of Peter. Peter had to learn to overcome being a promoter, an entertainer, a commercial. And he said to Jesus, he said, let us build three accommodations here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. See, he wasn't even talking about himself, but he was putting himself forward. He wasn't listening. He wasn't getting it. It's like when you sit in church and you're fishing. You sit in church and you talk to your buddy and you write notes. And, you, and if I ever, ever, ever catch you with a cell phone or a Game Boy in your hand, need I say more? And I'm going to walk these aisles. I'm telling you, I'm going to be walking them. You better put that phone away. You better put that game boy up. And parents, listen to me. If you value your child's health, you brought them into this world, but I can take them out. I'm kidding. I'm trying to get the attention of the kids. I think it's... A slap in the face to the Holy Spirit the way we behave ourselves when the preaching of the Word is going on. The Word of God is coming forth. And we are off in never-never land in our minds or we're doing something else. What if God, the Father, 
with a voice from heaven. Now, you, you get mad at me today if you want to. I don't care. I'm not God the Father. You better thank your lucky stars. You better thank God that it's me that's talking to you and not the Father. I'm just a representative. But in that day, the Bible says very clearly, a voice from where? Heaven spoke. What other time did that happen? The baptism of Jesus, remember? But there we believe that probably only John really understood. John the Baptist really understood. In the temple. In the New Testament, we know of at least three occasions then. A voice from heaven. You want to hear from God? (laughs) Are you sure? And God said, what did God say? What did God say on the Mount of Transfiguration to Peter, who was mouthing off? He said to Peter, this is my beloved son, hear him. Let me translate for you in redneck terminology so you'll understand it. Shut up. That's much easier, isn't it? Peter, shut up. Listen. You shouldn't be talking. You should be listening. Jesus said repeatedly over and over in the New Testament, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Do you know what that means? It means you've got ears, but are you hearing? I'm wondering today if we're hearing. Yeah, we got ears, but are we hearing? Hmm. Let me move quickly. This one you may disagree with. Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira were chastised of God. You might class it as judgment. But let me show you something. Let me buttress it with uh, first, first Corinthians. Let me take you to a familiar passage. First Corinthians chapter 11. Because you're going to fight me on this one. I know you are. So let's just go ahead and lay a foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I know that all of you believe that Ananias and Sapphira went straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $100 straight off to hell. There was a chute there and they just sent them right down the hill. But I, I disagree. I disagree. Now I'm going to show you why. See, we've lived under such a mistaken idea of the grace of God that we think anything goes. And God just winks at it and lets it go. We think that if, we're, if, if nobody's been killed in church lately, we're all okay. Listen, God brought you into this world. God can take you out. He's the only one that can. Now, let me show you something. In the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we always read when we do communion, look, if you will, down about... Uh, verse 27 self-examination this is what I'm telling each and every person here this morning you've got two choices you can do the self-examination under the light of the word and the Holy Spirit or you can let God do it I prefer to do it here it is 
Therefore, whoever eats the bread of, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy way will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, none of us are worth are worthy of the sacrifice of Jesus. None of us. Not a one of us here can say, well, God, I'm such a prized possession. Jesus just really is so privileged and blessed to have me. No. None of us are worthy. It isn't worthy in the sense of my self-worth or my worth to Him. It's worthy in the sense of the condition of my soul in respect to the teachings just prior to this that have to do with the order in the church. Am I causing disputes? Am I manifesting sinful behavior? Am I not in fellowship with the body as I ought to be? Am I playing games with God? That's what it's about. If I come in here and they're serving communion and I know for a fact that my life is a wreck and I don't get my act right with God, I go ahead and take that communion and just blow it off and go on out and continue to live the way I was living. That is partaking of communion in an unworthy manner. That's what that means. Let's read on. So a man should examine himself. In this way, he should eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For whosoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, judgment is not unto death or not unto hell. Judgment here is correctly correctly establishing your sin by God himself. See, you may explain it away to me. You may justify it to me, but God ain't going ain't gonna to buy it, son. You may even say, well, other people are doing it. It's okay in my church. God says, my standard, you are going to be measured by Jesus Christ. Not by the preacher or your church or anybody else. If you come up wanting when measured against Jesus Christ, this is the judgment that it's speaking of. And it's right now, right when you're taking this communion. This is why many, now look, this is why. He's saying the result of not doing the self-examination and getting your act Together with God, whether you're five or fifty or a hundred, the result of that action, that behavior of partaking of that communion, and this is driving me nuts standing back here, so I'm going to move it. Um, that is going to result in this. What? What is it going to result in? What does the Bible say? It's going to result in sickness. And what else? Some sleep. What is that? Does that mean that we got people sleeping in church? Well, we may have, but that's not what it means. It means an early death. An early death. Look me right between the eyes here this morning. Don't, don't, don't miss this. You keep messing with God. He's going to take you out. You say, that's harsh. No, it isn't. Let me show you something. Let me illustrate. You've got a child that's wayward. 
You have worked with that child. You have cautioned that child. You've taught that child. And that child keeps going that wayward direction. Finally, you set that child down. And you say, like they did to me. I'll use an illustration in a minute. You set that child down. And you say, I've tried reasoning with you. I've tried showing you the truth. I've shown you love. You won't listen. Now I'm going to show you discipline. You're grounded. You're not going out of this house on any social activities. Now, to you, that's no big deal. But to that kid, that's the sentence of death. You might as well have cut their legs off. That is cruel to them. Better still take their car keys away from them. (gasps) Mercy. You would do that. Why? Why would you do that? Because you hate your child? No. Because you love your child and you realize if I let them go on in this direction, they are going to destroy themselves. Rather than, than lose my kid to some horrible thing, I'm going to take action. And it's going to be, it's going to feel like to that child that it's harsh, but I know it's necessary. How many of you have ever watched those interventions on TV where the family realizes this person is so messed up with drugs, if somebody don't get a hold of them, and put them how many prisoners in jail will admit that if they hadn't been put in prison they'd be dead today saved their life when I was a youngster well a lot younger than I am today I loved my Corvette so much that I would speed down Main Street I'd speed anywhere drag racing and the police warned me, you better stop it. I wouldn't listen. So they caught me, drag racing down Main Street. Me and my buddy, Henry, he had a vet just like mine. They came down to our house and walked up and said, come on, boys. They didn't say anything. They just said, come with us. Uh, well, they didn't exactly say, would you please come with us? They got us by the arm took us and put us in the back of the cruiser. Henry said, don't worry, Jim, I'll talk him out of this. <laughs> yeah, right. Took us to jail before the justice of the peace. He was the judge. He said, boys, we wrote you tickets. We warned you. We've had reports from all over this town, two blue Corvettes racing up and down our streets. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to put you in jail for the weekend. He said, you got weekend passes from the military, right? And we said, yeah. He said, good, you're our guests. That was a misnomer. We were not guests. For that weekend, we spent Friday night, all day Saturday, Saturday night, and late Sunday evening they let us out. And this is what the justice of the peace, the judge, said to us before throwing us in the huskal. And, and but by the way, that jail was not one of your better jails. And you all know what happens in jails on the weekend? Yeah. Do you all know? Do you know what clientele visit the jails on the weekends? You don't? Would you like to know? Let's put it this way. It's not those who do misdemeanors. 
He said, while you're in jail, I want you to think about this. What would happen if when you were speeding down our streets, a little child came out from behind a car and you were unable to stop and you hit that child? You would be suffering the awful guilt of having committed that horrible crime. But you would also be spending five to ten years in prison. He said, now I want you to think about that these next two days. And boy, you know I did. And after those two days were up, I decided I don't want to be in here no more. I'm a, I am a reformed drag racer. I will no longer drag race on city streets. I'll take it out to the country. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, the arresting officers, the same one that showed up in the church where my wife talked me into going. God has a way of humbling you. I look over and there he sits in his uniform. I go, oh, God. I want to crawl under the pew, man. He just looked over at me and just grinned. He was glad to see me there. Here it is. Chastisement has a purpose just as trials and testing. Ananias and Sapphira were taken out before they could do any more damage to that New, church, New Testament church and also before they did something so serious as to lose their salvation. At this point, they had only lied. Remember earlier I said, you'll be held accountable for the light you have. The more light you have, the more accountable you will be held. You'll be held to a higher standard. If you know to do right and doeth it not, this is the Bible, to you it is sin. It is known as the sin of omission. And it's just as grievous to God as the sin of commission. Because He is disappointed in you. You knew better. You were not ignorant. You knew better. Whenever the Holy Spirit brings you up short like this, and he says to you, you know better than this. Boy, get on your knees. Right there, say, God, forgive me. I've told you before that one preacher that I have a high regard for is Rodney Howard Brown. And the reason I do is because I saw that man repent from the pulpit for grieving the Holy Spirit. How many preachers have you seen do that? How many preachers have you seen going along preaching and say or do something and immediately are checked by the Holy Spirit and have the grace and the humility and the good sense to say, oh, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit. I should not have done that. I should not have said that. And be truly contrite and say, please forgive me. Not a show, but something real. That's the kind of walk I want with God. 
where I don't have to wait until Sunday to be sitting in a service and have the preacher say, Hey, Jim, you know what? That thing you did on Tuesday, that was sin. I'm, I'm more adult than that. I'm more mature than that. I shouldn't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to say to me, Jim, you know how you treated your wife? That was wrong. I shouldn't need a preacher to tell me that. I shouldn't need a preacher to have to intervene between me and a brother and sister when I'm treating a brother or sister unfairly or unjustly. I shouldn't need a preacher. I got the Holy Spirit. Walk in the light that you have responsibly. You will be rewarded. I haven't even got to that yet, and I'm going to have to wrap it up. Next week, the Lord permitting, I want to get in deep into, into the purpose and the blessing of the test and trial you're going through. But I'm not finished quite yet. Chastisement has a purpose, just as trials and testing. Chastisement is for correction, not punishment. Ananias and Sapphira were not punished. They were spared. Remember Corinthians? When we are chastised, it is for our good that we not be judged in the final judgment. Even the chastisement is good if we submit and are changed as a result of it. Chastisement is not punishment. It is correction. It is always restorative in nature. Remember that. Chastisement is always restorative in nature. When God brings us up short, when the Holy Spirit brings us up short, and we are convicted and convinced of our wrongdoing and our sin, and we, the point of it is that we correct it, that we repent of it, that we change our ways so that we don't fall into judgment. Do you understand? Listen, you don't want God the Father to have to come down here. It won't be pretty. He's given you Jesus. He's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Word of God. He's given you me. And the brothers and sisters, don't make Him come down here. On the other hand, the attacks of the enemy are destructive, final, and without promise of hope. You know it's from the devil when there is no offer of salvation, redemption, restoration. That's not chastisement. That's not a test or a trial. That's from the devil. And you know what he'll say? Give up. Quit. Throw in the towel. His point is to destroy you. God doesn't want to destroy you. God wants to restore you always. I know sometimes we want God to punish others who hurt us. But if we could get beyond that and realize that God's very nature is restorative, not destructive. The last thing He's going to do is judge. 
The voice of the devil says, it's hopeless. Give up. Quit. Throw in the towel. Testing though, according to James chapter 1 verse 2 and James chapter 1 verse 12, is a cause for joy. And have a positive benefit because they produce endurance and they show us uh, as reliable once we've been proven and ultimately it leads to divine approval. Such people, James says, will receive the crown of life which God has promised to them. And I'll get into that more and more later on. I'm going to quit. Let's stand.